Uh, this morning, as we're thinking about continuing our series on All In, I was thinking about what the, the, one of the greatest deals I've ever heard of. Now, not the greatest, but one of the greatest. One of the greatest deals I've ever heard of happened in 1977. 1977, the National Basketball Association decided to buy the American Basketball Association and to connect those two leagues together. Some of you are nodding your head. Alex, you know about that, don't you? Tells you how old you really are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they bought the ABA, there were two teams they did not want, but they had to purchase them anyway to make the whole transaction work. One of those teams was a team called the Kentucky Colonels that was actually owned by John Brown, the owner of Kentucky Fried Chicken franchises. And the other one was a St. Louis Spirits, which was owned by the Silna Brothers. They uh, offered John Brown and the Silna Brothers $3 million for their team that would no longer exist. John Brown took it. The Silna brothers said, no, 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 we don't want to take that. We'll take less money now. We'll take $2.2 million now, but we want to stay involved with this thing. So we want one-seventh of the, of the visual media rights of the ABA teams you're taking into the NBA. Just one-seventh of that so we can continue to get a little bit of money along the way, and hopefully at the end of the day we'll get $3 million or more. And the NBA agreed to that. In the final contract, the Silna brothers added two words to the contract. The two words were in perpetuity. That means perpetually. That means forever, right? Well, just to give you an idea, that was 1977. By 2011, instead of the $3 million that they could have gotten up front, they took 2.2. The contract was now worth $300 million. Yeah. But that wasn't all. In 2016, the NBA finally reached an agreement to take them out of the deal completely because they did not want that in perpetuity. They wanted to end it, so they paid them another $500 million for a team that didn't exist. Not bad. Not bad. Over 40 years, $800 million instead of $3 million to begin with. That is an incredible deal. Now... The NBA didn't like that, and they tried to find ways around it multiple times. The Silna brothers had to hire a very good attorney to protect themselves. They had to know what they had. They had to claim what they had in order to be able to own what they had. And as we look at the scripture today from Romans chapter 8, I think you're going to see a similar deal there where Paul is describing to us the greatest deal we could ever make, ever make. And part of the greatest deal is what we refer to as the great exchange. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're going to introduce that back. It's just part of the greatest deal, but it is a part of it. And the really amazing thing is that this deal actually is in perpetuity, perpetually. It actually does go forever. So let's look at our scripture for today. It's Romans chapter 8. We're going to go through just five verses, 12 to 17, beginning in verse number 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, 
then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, here it is. Here is the capsulation of that, and then we're going to kind of come back and, and unwind it, look at it piece by piece. What you see here is something that we are given, part of that great deal. The great deal that God gives it, but watch this, but you have to know it and claim it to own it. God gives it. He says, here it is. You get a chance to enjoy the inheritance and be part of you and be a child of mine, but you have to know it and claim it in order to own it. So the great exchange that we, I said is part of this great deal that we're going to look at in just a moment, that great exchange is, happens this way. It's when we believe that Jesus Christ actually did what he said he was going to do, which was to die on the cross as our substitute, to pay the price for our sins. And then out of gratitude, we accept him as our Savior, the one who paid the price for us, and as our Lord, and we choose to enter into a personal and real relationship with him, and then he institutes the great exchange. Here's what it is. We exchange our sins for his righteousness. Now that is the greatest deal you can possibly imagine. And it is in perpetuity, perpetually. It lasts forever. So we, he takes our sins, which he's already paid for, by the way. So he's already paid for our sins. And then in exchange, he gives us his righteousness, which we absolutely don't deserve and cannot pay for. That's called grace. Our sins in exchange for his righteousness in perpetuity. Now, I told you that the, the great exchange is a part of the greatest deal. You cannot have the greatest deal without the great exchange. In other words, you have to agree and accept Christ. And when you agree and accept Christ as your Savior, you get that great exchange, his righteousness for your sins. What a great day that is. And we get to be robed in his righteousness so God himself sees us as righteous. Man, when you stop and think about that, you got to look in the mirror and go, are you kidding me? That person is righteous before God, and the answer is absolutely true. Yes, that person is, not because of what they have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. That's the great exchange, but it's still only part of everything that makes the greatest deal possible. So we're going to look at that in just a minute. Here's the caution. Here's the caution. There's a cost involved. There is a cost involved. This deal is going to cost you something. The truth is, it's going to cost you everything. But here's a question. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you give up something that you know you cannot keep in exchange for some amazing benefits that you can never lose? Let me ask that again. Wouldn't you, and just as you thought about it, say, I've got this really precious and valuable thing to me that, that, that I know I cannot keep. I know I cannot keep it. Wouldn't you be saying, I, I can't keep it anyway. I'm willing to give it up, especially when I know that what I get in return are benefits that are even greater than that, that I cannot lose. They will be there forever. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at. But before we see the benefits, Paul begins to lay out this cost. And that's verse number 12 and 13. So we'll go back to that now. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Can, can you leave that there just for a second, Tiffany? Just, uh, I want you just to look at those verses a minute and understand what's going on in these verses. There, we are being offered a choice here. It's going to be costly regardless of what we choose. Do you see that? It's going to be costly regardless of what we choose because death is a part of either choice. You see that? Death's a part of either. It doesn't give us another option. We don't, we don't have option C. It, it's, it's option A or option... We either die. That means it says we die if we live according to the flesh. That means for ourselves. That means we do it our way. That means we say, God, thank you very much. Don't need you. I'll take care of this. And then it says we're going to die. But it says then put to death the deeds of the body, which means what? That's dying too. That's dying to yourself. So, so here's what I see as we look at this. You die to yourself now and live forever, or you die later forever. Hmm. So here's some choices I got to get. God's word, the thing I love about God's word is it's the unvarnished truth, isn't it? I mean, God is not trying to be politically correct. He's not trying to soften things. He's not trying to make it sound better. It's just the truth. And the truth is that death is in our future. Every single one of us. We will die. The question is not, will you die? The question is, when will you die? That's the only question. And perhaps, how? will you die? Whether you're young or whether you're old, it doesn't matter. So avoiding it or pretending it's not going to happen, saying, well, but, well, but I, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, but, but that is really just hiding from the truth. It's really hiding from reality. Instead, we need to ask the question because anything less than asking those questions and applying it to ourselves is not only short-sighted, it's dangerous and foolhardy. So Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, then you're going to die. But if you choose to die to yourself, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So either way, we're choosing death of one kind or another. The question is, what kind of death do you choose? See, here's the thing, friends. We cannot choose not to die. That's not a choice. We can't choose not to die. But we can choose how we will. We can that's the choice that God gives us. And when we choose to die to ourselves, our own desires, what he was talking about when he said, put to death the deeds of the body, then we are choosing to live for God. And that's exactly what these guys are doing in Somalia that, that Martin was talking about. They're saying, I'm, I'm willing to give my life to God. I'm willing to take the risks. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for me. I'm not going to be stupid, but I've already determined. I'm not living for myself. I'm dying to myself, and I am living for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I'm making that decision. So Paul tells us that God then gives us eternal life in that process. But he also says that you can only choose this, by the way, with the help and power of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch what he said? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Oh, 
So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in that process. Holy Spirit, would you show me how to do this? Would you show me how to live this way? Would you show me where you are at in these circumstances? Would you show me how you see this person that you want me to interact with? Because, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to die to myself and live for you. And then Paul kind of is concluding in that little piece. He's letting us know that as children, we are obligated to God. God's children are obligated. We're in debt to him, to God. But then God obligates himself to his children, as any parent does, right? So isn't that a great picture? We are obligated to God as our father, but he then says, I love you so much that when you, when you accept what Jesus has done for you, I see you clothed in righteousness. I see you as my child, and, and I'm, I'm going to obligate myself to you. And in fact, I'm going to make promises that are your promises that, you, that I will absolutely carry out for you. Wow. Now I get to look at God's word from a different perspective and say, wait a minute, this is where you've promised me something, Father. I get to step underneath that promise. That promise is there for me. God gives it, but you have to know it and claim it if you want to own it. If you were incredibly wealthy and in a, power of great, uh, in a position of great power, able to give your children whatever they wanted, you know, we would still feel very, we'd be, feel very obligated as to how and what to give our kids, wouldn't we? We wouldn't want to give them stuff that would hurt them. We'd want to do things for them to, to really help them grow. There are some people who would say, man, when you look at the parent-child relationship, the children got it all. I mean, the parents are obligated to them. They're sacrificing for them. They're doing stuff for them. But if you were the parent, a loving parent, ah, then you look at that differently, don't you? You look at that sacrifice that you get to do for your child as a privilege, as something that you want to do to make a difference in their life. That's how God sees you. He loves you immensely, incredibly. So the great exchange is us exchanging our sins for the, the perfectness, the righteousness of Jesus. But the greatest deal is when we become his child. His child. And he looks at us as God's child. We choose to have a childlike relationship with him. And he says, I'm now going to obligate myself to you. But, but that obligation, it's only for his kids. It's for those who've accepted him, who recognize him as their father. He says, I'm going to give it, but you have to know who you are and claim it if you want to own it. To be able to step into that. So let's look at verses 14 and 15. It gives us some more clarity on that. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is a great picture. This idea of Abba, Father is not a formal cry. It's an informal, it's a, it's a daddy, it's a familiarity, it's a I know my dad so well that I can call on him and I'm confident that I can call him and he's going to be listening to me. In, in, in the kingdom of God, there are no orphans. In the kingdom of God, there are no stepchildren. In the kingdom of God, there are only those who are adopted into his kingdom and those who have become his children and those who are not. There is no in-between there. That is an amazing truth. You, you can sense that 
in the Apostle John, when he wrote in 1 John 3, 1, we record what he said. He said, see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. Wow. I get to be His child. The God of the universe makes me His child. You have given me the spirit of adoption. You're a child of God. He gives it. But you have to know it and claim it if you want to own it. In Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5, Paul writes, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. Adoption by God means that we are legally His children. Isn't that a great thought? We are legally His children. I, I come from a very, I guess the best way to term it is a very adoptive family. I have uh, two brothers who are Korean. Um, I have an adopted son myself. Of my, my parents' 46 grandchildren, 23 of them are adopted. Uh, do you have a picture of that? You can show them up on the screen. There they are. That's, that's part of the tribe uh, for my mom and dad. And I am telling you, we have everything from Asian to Eskimos to black to, I mean, it's, it's like the United Nations when we get together. Uh, and it's a terrific thing. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, we buried my father, who is the patriarch of that clan him and my mom. And um, my brother Dan, who's Korean, uh, was talking to, at the, at the funeral, and he was talking and said to the adopteds, all the, he says, listen, you are part, this heritage here, this legacy here is yours. It's now yours. You have been adopted into it. And, and he was the first of the many. And, uh, and he says, you've all been adopted into it. Now, you can reject it and act like it isn't yours. You can ignore it and act like it isn't yours, and you will receive no benefits from it. Or you can embrace it and own it and know it's yours, and you receive all of the benefits of anyone in the family. There is no difference between you being born to the family or becoming adopted into the family. You are legally and literally a part of this family. And, and, and I love the fact that he said, choose to make it yours and become part of it. You've been given it, he was saying. But you need to know it and claim it in order to really own it. At the time that Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome, the word adoption was used in a couple of different ways. Uh, it was used, as I just talked about, for flesh and blood uh, adopt, where you, you, know, you, you adopt a child that's not your flesh and blood, and you legally make it your own child. But there was another way they used the same term at that time, and it was actually a ceremony that they would do for a flesh and blood child. And the ceremony was called adoption. So even though the child would have been raised in the family, he wasn't considered uh, to have full rights and full membership in the family until they had this adoption ceremony that they did. They also called it the toga virilis, and it was called that because they would take a toga off of an adult they would place it on the, the, the young man, generally at that time, it was actually uh, the direct translation of it is to place a son. So they would take that and put it on top of that son, and they would say, you now, you now have the full rights 
and privileges of being a complete and full member of this family. It was a big deal. The father usually picked when that age was, and at that age, they would now qualify to receive the inheritance. Before that, they knew it was coming when they got to that age, but it wasn't theirs yet. And so they would have that particular formal thing. And believe me, when that, child, when that happened, that child would know it and claim it because he wanted to own it, man. He wanted to own all of that inheritance. I, I think in Galatians 4, the type of adoption that Paul was talking about is the one that we're talking about, I just talked about right now, the toga virilis. And the reason is, if you read that, uh, Galatians 4, verses 1 to 2, here's where it's talking, Paul talks about that. You'll get the picture. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. That would be the date of the toga virilis, the adoption. So some of you who are really smart are thinking this right now. If the adoption Paul is talking about is for children who were born into the family, flesh and blood, what does that mean for us who might not feel like we were born flesh and blood? That's a brilliant question. I'm glad you thought of it. I'm going to answer it for you as best I can, and I'll answer it this way. Remember in John chapter 3, John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, and he tells Nicodemus that uh, in order to be that in order to be saved, he must be born again. And Nicodemus goes, what are you talking about? I can't get back into the womb of my mother and do that again. And Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Later, the apostles would kind of couple that together and say, believe and be baptized, water and Spirit. Do you see that? Okay, and then, you, then you'd be what? Then you're born again. So you see, when you believe and be baptized, you're born again into the family of God, and you are now a flesh and blood child of God, the way Jesus laid it out. And we know that because when you go back to that first verse 14, it says, by the Spirit, the Spirit is capitalized. It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit who now enters into you when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Christ followers, Christ followers are literally and legally God's children. Isn't that a great thought? Literally and legally. Once we do that, no one can take it away. No one can take it away. And, and you know what? I'm going to admit this. I, I believe personally that uh, adoption is much more difficult than having your own child. I don't. Uh, my, uh, my adopted child, we got at 72 hours old. Yet he still had to deal with all the diff some abandonment issues and all that kind of stuff that we had to work through. I mean, it's just not easy. And sometimes they don't act like we want them to. Does Does anybody have a child that ever has acted like they didn't want them to? Uh huh. The rest of you don't have children, or you're liars. One of the two. Because we've all, okay, well, then you see the child's not living the way you want. You know what? They're still part of the family. You get that? They're still part of the family. When you enter the family of God and you screw up, you are still part of the family. Hmm. God still loves you, wants you to come back and follow him the way you should, but you are still part of the family. God gives it, but you have to know it and claim it in order to own it.
And it's God's Spirit that confirms to us that we're His children. You say, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I am, Pastor Cliff. I, I need to know that. Well, okay. If you really want to know that, just stick around after the service. Come up, and we'll we'll pray with you and make sure you know that. that there's no question in your mind whatsoever. We want to resolve those issues. But it tells us, the Word of God tells us, the Spirit confirms that to us. And here's where we read that in verses 16 and 17, beginning in verse number 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So Paul is saying God's children, adopted children, have full rights as God's heirs. Wow! Alongside of who? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We, we, we share in the same inheritance that He has. That's what God is telling us. You're not just a child being fed and cared for, but you are an heir receiving everything that God wants. Jump ahead sometime. Check out Galatians 3.29. You can write that in the site if you're a note taker and go look at it. Here's what it says. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, God's saying, not only are you heirs for, of, of the same way as Jesus, but you're heirs like Abraham is. Go back and look at the things I've promised Abraham. They're promised to my children. You are my child. We receive an inheritance. And the inheritance isn't one that ends quickly, friends. It's in perpetuity. It lasts forever. It's eternal. In, in biblical times, someone didn't always have to die for the heirs to be able to receive the inheritance. Uh, you know, the way it works in our world, that's usually the way it is. The person dies, and then the inheritance is given out. But in, in, in our case, it covers both ways, doesn't it? Because who died so we could receive inheritance? Jesus did. Jesus died so that we could have our sins forgiven, get the great exchange, receive His righteousness, become part of the greatest deal, His family, get the inheritance from Him, become born again, adopted heirs of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of the entire universe. And He says, here it is. I'm giving it to you. I'm not forcing it upon you. I will not make you take it. You have to choose to know it and to claim it so that you can own it. It's God's generous love for us to give us, to allow us to claim our inheritance. Now, the sad truth is that so many people don't. So many people either refuse it or, or flat, just ignore it. Just ignore it. I, I want to I live for myself right now. I want to get what I can have for myself. I'm concerned about, I'm concerned about, and about always means about what I can get, the, how I can feel better, how I can make myself really kind of the most important thing, which kind of means God. Or to say, Lord, I don't want to do that. I, I make a lousy God even to myself. And I need to give that up. It's not working for me. I need to step into what you have for me. God's children have an incredible inheritance to claim. We have to know it. We have to claim it in order to own it. 
A man named Fred Craddock and his wife were in Gatlinburg, Tennessee on a short vacation. They, they found themselves a quiet little restaurant in, in Gatlinburg. They were having dinner together, and they, they noticed on the other side of the restaurant this gray-haired man kind of popping around from table to table talking to people. And, and uh, Fred said to his wife, he said, I hope he didn't come here. You know, they were having a good time, just talking with themselves quietly, but sure enough, here he comes. And he, he walks up to their table and he says, where are you folks from? And they told him, they said, we're from, we're from Oklahoma. He said, splendid state I hear, although I've never been there. What do you do for a living? And Fred told him, he says, I'm actually a professor at Phillips University. I, I teach homiletics. And the older gentleman said, oh, you teach preachers how to preach. I got a story for you about preachers, about a preacher. And Fred thought, oh, no, here we go. Another story about, uh, about a preacher story. That's the last thing I need to hear right now. But the guy pulled up his chair and he said, he said, introduced himself first as Ben Hooper. And then he said, I was born not far from here. My mother wasn't married when I was born. So I had a hard time. When I started to school, my classmates had a name for me that wasn't very kind. And so I'd actually stay inside sometimes during the recess because it hurt so bad. It cut so deeply the taunts of my classmates. And then on the weekend, what was worse was going downtown. In our small town, everybody knew. And I felt like walking down the street. Every eye was burning the hole through me. And I knew what they were wondering. They were wondering who my real father was. Well, the truth is I didn't know myself. Then when I was about 12 years old, a new preacher, he come to our church. I'd always go in late and slip out early, but one day that preacher said the benediction so fast that I got caught and I had to walk out with the rest of the crowd. It felt like I could feel every eye in the church on me. And just about time I got to the door and was going to slip out the door, I felt a big hand on my shoulder. And I, I looked up, and the preacher was looking down at me. And he said, who are you, son? Whose boy are you? I began to feel that cloud come all over top of me again. and felt like a, a, a load of bricks were coming down on me. Even the preacher was putting me down. And then he looked at me and he started to smile. He, his smile got great big and he said, wait a minute, I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You're a son of God. And with that, he slapped me across a rump and said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go claim it. And with that, the older gentleman smiled shook Fred's hand and his wife. And then he said, you know, that was the most important sentence anyone ever told me. And he walked away. It was then that Fred Craddock remembered. The people of Tennessee had elected a man who had been born out of wedlock to be their governor. His name was Ben Hooper. The inheritance has been paid for. It's in place. The choice is yours. You can reject it 
You can ignore it or you can accept it. It's God Almighty who gives it, but you have to know it and claim it in order to own it. Peter would phrase it this way in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you in perpetuity, forever. You and I, we have to know it and claim it to own it. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that brings clarity, for your word that challenges us, for your word that makes us, uh, oh wow, that makes us come to a place and a point of decision. And this morning, I just pray for those who have not yet received the inheritance, who've not yet been adopted, that they would make the decision to say, Lord, I, I, need, to, I need part of this thing. I, I need the great exchange. I need this greatest deal. I want to be your child. Show me how to step into that. Lord, I pray that you would meet them right there, Holy Spirit, as you said you would, that their lives would be changed from this day forward because you've entered into them. Let it be a difference for us as well, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to stand right now. I'm going to give you the blessing, and then we're going to continue to worship for a minute. A uh, blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you to give you his peace and his strength so that you can act and operate with the power and strength of being His child. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. Amen. Let's continue to worship.